You are listening to a message from The Political Pastor. Each week, The Political Pastor expounds the Word of God to his local congregation. These messages are made available to you in podcast on thepoliticalpastor.com as well as other popular podcast platforms. Visit thepoliticalpastor.com and click on the podcast link at the top to find our full listing of podcasts. You have heard that tis impossible to be sure of anything but death and taxes. Today, we are dealing with the second of those two issues. But how you prepare for the first will change your view of the second. In our text today, we will see the religious and political establishments at work to trap Jesus Christ, the threat to their power. They use none other than the question of to pay or not to pay taxes. Turn with us to Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, as the pastor delivers the sermon, to pay or not to pay taxes. All right, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Mark chapter 12, and we'll be reading beginning in verse number 13. So you have heard that it is impossible to be sure of anything but death and Taxes. Well, today we're dealing with the second of those two issues. We're dealing with taxation. But how you prepare for that first issue, death, will change your view of the second, taxes. In other words, your relationship to God, your relationship to Christ, and your understanding of His Word will make a difference in how you view this issue of taxation. In our text today, we're going to see the religious and the political establishments at work to try to trap Jesus Christ. He was a threat to their power. And they used none other than the question of to pay taxes or not to pay taxes. So if you want to get upset about mixing religion and politics, you're going to have to get upset with this text today. Let's look at it in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now, we all should know the background by this point because we've spent enough time here, but we understand that Jesus has gone to Jerusalem for this final time. We're in that final week of his life, and he says he is staying in Bethany. He's coming into Jerusalem each day, and there he's teaching, and there's a great throng of people about him. We've seen Jesus as he has uh, searched out the temple. We've seen him as he cursed the fig tree. We saw him as he cleansed the temple. We saw him also last week as he was giving a parable of the vine growers. And the religious leaders at that time understood that that parable was talking about them. 
And so now they're ramping up their efforts in order to get Jesus, this threat to their power, this person whom the people are are paying attention to. He's being an influencer and they're not happy about it. So now their efforts are going to be ramped up, intensified as they become very violent toward Christ in order to not upset their own apple cart any more than he already has. So they use this old tactic that is still being practiced today, by the way. Isn't it amazing when you look at Scripture and you look at history and you look at things that happened 2,000 years ago and you realize not a whole lot has changed? They tried to paint Jesus in a certain light and they're still trying to, to paint the people of God, good Christians, and even good patriotic people the same way. They tried to paint Christ as an insurrectionist. He's an insurrectionist. He's leading the people to get upset. He's messing up the government and the establishment. And so this was their ploy. They used an issue here, which is still a hot button issue even today. I joined with some of you in a meeting at your local, uh, before a board of your local government just here recently, as you were voicing your displeasure at a 52% increase in your property taxes. That, that's just an amazing number, isn't it? Does that not just blow your mind? So taxation is still a hot button issue even now. And this is what these political and religious leaders were going to use in order to trap Jesus Christ. They brought up this issue of taxation. But there was more than just a dislike of being taxed at play here. And we're going to see that as we go through our text today. You know, this was the very issue that was central to the birth of our nation. There was an uproar over this issue of taxation. I mean, who wants to be overtaxed, especially without representation or even more so by a foreign sovereign, even if he is supplying some type of order or law or protection? No one wants those things. But this was also the issue for the Jews at this time and in this setting. They were facing that very situation. You see, Israel was under God's judgment. And they were being ruled by a Roman Caesar who had established himself in place of God. The Jews obviously benefited much from what Rome provided them. They had the benefit of the roads. It increased their commerce. They had a certain amount of order and safety and protection being afforded them. But this didn't make everything okay. So the issue was quite a big deal at that time. And it was the subject of the question posed to Jesus, intended to put an end to him and his influence. So Jesus is asked the question, should we pay taxes or not? Today, I'm not going to give you a fancy alliterated outline, all right? We're just going to do a little walk through these scriptures today. I want to expose a few things that I see through these uh, several verses today as we walk through this text. So look with me beginning in verse 13. It says, Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. Now let's start with the first part of verse 13. Then they sent. Who is the they that we're referencing? Most likely this they is the Sanhedrin. 
The Sanhedrin is the ruling body of the Jews at the time, and it was made up of three groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. These three groups comprised the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. And so this group had decided that they're going to send out some representatives. It says that in verse 13, then they sent. And it's interesting, the word sent here in the original is the same word that can be translated as apostle. This means a messenger or a person who is sent with authority of the person who sent him. In other words, they can speak for whoever sent them. And so this person that went, or these people who went from the Sanhedrin, went with all the authority of the Sanhedrin. They could speak for the Sanhedrin in the same way that Christ's apostles had all authority to speak for Christ. They were speaking with his authority. And you understand that scripture even tells us as believers that we are ambassadors for Christ. It's the same idea. We go forth with a message from Christ, with Christ's authority, with his power. So we're not speaking our words. We're not speaking in our power, but we're speaking in his. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are sent with authority. And I would say to you this morning, let that encourage you to speak up and not be silent. To speak the truth of the gospel often and not be afraid to do so. Because you have the power of Christ in you as a believer. He will be filled you with his Holy Spirit. There will be, no doubt, many attempts to silence you. To shut you up. The world doesn't want to hear what God has to say. They don't want to be subject to his law and his commands. They don't want to recognize their need for a savior because they're sinners. And so they try to silence the voice of believers. But don't forget whose ambassador you are. Don't forget whose authority you have. And so these people coming from the Sanhedrin are coming with authority to speak here. The full backing of the Sanhedrin is behind them. And notice verse 13 tells us that of this Pharisees and Herodians. Now we know a lot about the Pharisees. We've talked a lot about them. And they were the most religious, most conservative group. The group of Pharisees, by the way, did believe in a future resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in a future resurrection, but the Sadducees were actually the priestly class. And so this created all kinds of tension between these two groups. But then we see the Herodians, and we've looked at them briefly in our study of the book of Mark. But who were the Herodians? They were a political party of the Jews who supported the Herodian dynasty. So these were Jews who supported this dynasty of the Herods, who the Herods were not purely Jews, Instead, the Herods were actually puppet kings. So you can imagine how the Jews viewed these puppet kings just acting under the authority of Rome. They despised them. But the Herodians were a whole political party that stood up and supported the Herods, these puppet kings under the authority of Rome. And so we see the Pharisees and the Herodians coming as representatives of the Sanhedrin in order to trap Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? 
because normally the Pharisees despised the Herodians. They didn't care a thing about the Herodians. They were traitors in their minds. They were ungodly in their minds. They would have nothing to do with them. Here were two polar opposites, two enemies of each other, and yet they come together in order to trap Christ's science here. This is quintessential, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They would try to catch Jesus in a problematic position with the people or with the religious leadership or the government. The question that they would pose in their minds, most any answer that Christ would give would get him in trouble with one of those three groups. Either the people wouldn't like it, the religious establishment wouldn't like it, or the government wouldn't like it. And one of those three was going to take Christ down. That's what they were counting on when they came to him. You know, the world still operates the same way. The world will unite against Christ, authority against God's laws. I mean, people who normally wouldn't get together and wouldn't agree with one another will come together with this common cause. Here, the atheists, the pagans, all forms of the sexually perverse, the murderers slash abortionists, the pedophiles and more. You can lump all those groups together. They'll unite for this cause against Christ and his people. Even Christians become more loyal at times to their political parties than to Christ. Much like the Herodians we see here. And I'm here to encourage you this morning that you do need to very much be involved in politics. You do. But your loyalty is to Christ, not some political party, the church. And they do not speak with the authority of Christ. You may participate in a political party. Nothing wrong with that, especially if it has the the right stance, the right agendas, and you would support that versus the other, that's fine. But your allegiance ultimately is not to that party. Your allegiance is to Christ first and foremost. Don't be blinded by the party system that we live under in this country. We're not under a party. We're under our sovereign, our Lord Jesus Christ. Beware of the trap of political parties. These two groups come together here under the authority of the Sanhedrin. And they come. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. Some versions use the word catch instead of trap. But this is a very interesting term and I won't spend a whole lot of time getting into it. But let me just kind of summarize a little bit. The term that's used here translated as trap or catch Literally, in this context, means to take by hunting. To take by hunting. They were literally trying to take Christ by hunting him down. And the way that this would be be done is very much like, think of a a man-eating tiger. And he is being pursued. And those who are pursuing the man-eating tiger have dug a deep pit. And in the bottom of that pit, they have driven stakes in the ground and they've sharpened those stakes so that when the tiger comes along, the tiger walks into their trap 
falls into the pit and impales himself on those stakes that have been put there. This is exactly what these groups were trying to do to Christ. They were setting him up. They were laying a trap that he would step into and impale himself. Understand this. They literally were becoming violent toward Christ Jesus. They were violent in their approach to him. They were hunting him down and they wanted him destroyed. And we're going to see that happening in just less than a week. The scriptures tell us that we should walk wisely during these times. Let me tell you something. There are traps being laid for the people of God just as they were being laid. We bear his cross and we will go through the same types of things that he went through. You better believe the world is laying traps for us on every hand. That's why scripture is clear that we're to walk wisely or circumspectly during this time. We're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. It's why Jesus gave the rebuke that the children of this world are more shrewd than the children of God. We haven't learned how to to be alert and to be wise, to pay attention, to be careful, to not fall into the traps that are being laid for us. And that's why it's important that we walk with the utmost of integrity in our lives so that we're not caught in our own sin. And the traps that have been laid for us. There are always those who will seek to trap you. In verse number 14, it says, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a tax to Caesar or not? Now, what's interesting in this verse is that at the same time these folks are speaking rightly, they're speaking wrongly. They're saying the right things, but they're saying it for the wrong reason. This is, this is hypocrisy at work here. They're putting on a face, a show, that says one thing about Christ, but in reality, they thought something different about Christ. What they were actually expressing with their words was true, but what they believed in their heart was evil. Now notice, truthful and defer to no one. Some translations refer to a respecter of persons or respecter of no one. For you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. They're saying something very true about Christ. And that is that he is a man of integrity. He walked in what was right. He walked in what was truth. He knew no sin. He didn't defer to anyone else. It didn't mean that he didn't care about anyone else. It meant that he wasn't swayed by popularity or the way the wind was blowing at the time, public opinion. He wasn't swayed by those things. He wasn't swayed by those who sat in seats of authority or had status. He didn't change his tune when they come around and capitulate to whatever they wanted. He stayed true and right and on the right way, teaching the right things, regardless of being acknowledged in this statement in verse 14. He didn't show partiality. He just continued to teach the way of God in truth. Jesus couldn't be bought or pressured. He stood on principle, and they knew it. This was acknowledged in their very statement. Do people know of you 
as a person of integrity? Do they know you as a person who's not swayed by public opinion or peer pressure? Are you known as a person who is not a respecter of persons? What guides your life? What guides your speech? What guides your decision making? Scientific consensus? Those who are smarter than us? Or is it the rule and reign of Christ in your life? Is it his spirit at work in you? Is it what his word says, what his law says? Is that what dictates your life? Is that what guides you in your decision making? I hope we would do some deep introspection. While they were rightly speaking of Christ, they were also wrongly speaking of him because they didn't believe in their hearts anything that they were saying. They knew this to be true, but yet they didn't want to accept it. And this was all an attempt at flattery. It was all a setup. This was lying, hypocritical, playing to the ego, setting him up. Oh, you're such a wonderful. My goodness, you just, you speak the truth all the time. You, you don't get swayed by anybody. We know we can count on you right now. We know that you're going to tell us the truth and you're not going to hold anything back and we can't wait to hear what you have to say. Beware the words of flattery. Beware. What do they say? What do they ask Christ? After they've built him up now, What are they getting at? What's the question? The last part of verse 14. Is it lawful to pay a tax to Caesar or not? You see, they thought they had Christ here. Because if he says yes to paying taxes, Roman government, then he'll surely fall out of favor with all the Jews. If he says that, he's done. But if he says, no, we shouldn't pay taxes to that tyrannical Roman government, the Herodians who were there on purpose, right? They're going to go back and they're going to tell Rome, here's a guy telling people not to pay taxes to you. And what's Rome going to do? Exactly what they wanted it to do. Put him to death. So they thought they had him. Whether he says yes or no, he can't win. He's in a no-win situation. But notice the preface to this. Not just should we pay or not pay, but they said, is it lawful to pay? In other words, teacher, rabbi, one who tells us God's truth, what does God's law say? What would God have if they invoked the name of God in their trap? How many times do we get accused by the world of being bad Christians? It always amazes me how the world is the expert on how Christians should behave. The world suddenly, the lost become experts at interpreting scripture and telling us how to live. Well, here they are. Christ, you tell us, what would God have us do in this situation? What's lawful? Would God have us pay taxes or not to this tyrannical Roman government? You see, there's really an acknowledgement that perhaps they didn't mean to make. And that is the supremacy of God's law over everything else. Ultimately, this is a question of 
God's law being supreme. Not what does Caesar say, not what do the experts say, what does God say? God's law is over all. And we must do what is right in his sight, regardless of what any other group may think. Any other group. We've seen this recently in some of our own politics, where people make decisions to appease one group or the other. Maybe they think one group is stronger than the other, has a larger voice than the other, more money than the other. When the question is never which group is going to accept me, which group, which group can I get by with this if I make this decision? The question should be supreme over all. I'm going to get in trouble. Listen to this. I'm going to get in trouble with one group or the other all the time. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to stay in trouble with some group. I'm not worried about which group I'm in trouble with. I'm worried. What does God say? I don't want to be in trouble with him. I can deal with being in trouble with any of these groups in the world. I don't want to be in trouble with him. What does God's law, which is supreme, say? Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise in how we respond, because Christ was very wise in how he responded in this situation. He didn't just say whatever and give up and take the consequence. No, he was very wise in his answer. So let's look at what he does in verse 15. They emphasize once again, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Now, when they ask, shall we pay or shall we not pay? This is kind of a repetition of the question they've already posed. They, they want Jesus to be loud and clear and they want everybody to hear it. They don't want anybody to miss what he's about to say because here's the trap, right? They're about to spring it. Don't want anybody to miss it. They built him up with these statements to encourage him. Now, give us a loud answer. We're ready to hear from you. But what does Jesus do in verse 15? He calls them out on their hypocrisy. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Did Jesus dare question the authorities of his time? Are you kidding me? You mean Jesus Christ dared question all-knowing religious and political class of his day? That's exactly what he did. He called them out in their hypocrisy. Why are you testing me? You see, the world will always try to control the narrative. They always want to set it up and control the story. Do not buy the premise that they set forth when you challenge their arguments. They set you up. They dictate the terms. And then you fall into the trap. (laughs) Don't buy the premise. When you challenge their arguments and don't be afraid to call out the hypocrisy of politicians opposes Christ rule and reign. Jesus is about to give an answer, but he didn't give the answer before he called them out in their hypocrisy, challenged their authority in this situation. Why are you testing me? He says, understand we will be tested and tempted in this world like our Savior was. 
Thank God not above the, what we're able. Because Christ is our strength. And he has supplied us his spirit so that we don't have to worry about how to answer when they haul us off before the authorities, when they drag us before the courts. We don't worry about what we're going to say. Why? Because he's there with us and he empowers us. He says, bring me, the denarius was the most common coin in use at that time. It was used to pay tribute money or taxes to the Roman government. It would equate to about a day's wage for a laborer in Israel. If that helps you put it in perspective. And there was an image and a subscript there. And Jesus questions that in the next verse. Who was on this coin? They recognize it as Caesar. At this time, the image that they would have seen would have been of Tiberius. He is the one who reigned after Augustus. And so literally it was inscribed on this coin on one side, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, high priest. Now, the term Augustus or August was not actually a name. It was really more of a title. It meant the the August one. And it was conferred by the Senate as a religious honor. And it indicated that the Caesar possessed this transcendent majesty. What are we saying? They set Caesar up as divine. He's God. He's God. For the Jews, this term August could only be reserved for one person. That would be Jehovah God, Yahweh. No one else. And so for them to subscribe to this coin and it's is divine and he is the high priest. This was idolatry in their mind. They couldn't call anything August. But look at verse 16. And they brought one. Now, verse 15 tells us Jesus says, bring me a denarius. Why didn't he whip one out of his own robe? You know, obviously it appears that Jesus didn't have one of these coins himself. There's another instance in which we read earlier today where Peter's being questioned about paying taxes. You remember Jesus sends him to catch a fish to pay the taxes. But here in this case, Jesus obviously doesn't have one. He asked to bring one. And apparently these Jews who couldn't stand the Roman government and these Jews who could not go along with Caesar being the divine and being the high priest and produces one. And they bring it to Christ. And it's evident of their own hypocrisy. You know, you see how easy it is to capitulate to things like jabs and, you know, uh, digital currencies and on and on we could go, right? When, in these cases, you're being threatened with the opportunity to engage in commerce. How quickly people will lay down and roll over when it's going to affect the pocketbook when it's going to mean it's more difficult to buy and sell and exchange and do things because we like the life of ease, right, and comfort. Why go against the grain? Why buck the system? Just go along with it. 
they had the coins. If they had the coins, which they had an issue with and what it said to begin with, why in the world would they have any problem giving it back to the person who issued it? (laughs) Think about it. Jesus asked them in verse 16, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they answered immediately, Caesar's. And I just told you what was on that coin. So notice what Jesus tells them to do in verse 17. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Now the word render here literally means to pay back. If you pay back something, what does that indicate? Whose was it to begin with? If you're paying it back, it wasn't yours to start with. You're giving it back to the person who it belonged to. That's what a payback is. Maybe it belongs to them. So Jesus uses this term render to Caesar. In other words, pay back to Caesar. Whose image is on this thing? Caesar's. Who issued it? Caesar. Then guess what? Give it back to Caesar. Just give it back to him. He owned it according to Roman law. His image was there. It meant it was his under Roman law. So Jesus, in essence, say, says, go ahead, give it back, pay the taxes. I mean, the Israelites actually were getting some benefit here. The Israelites were actually benefiting commercially under this system. They, they did get some benefit from the Roman government, even though they despised this government not to pay these taxes. Romans 13, 7, Paul talks about this issue. He says, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. There is a legitimate reason to pay some taxes. There just is. Government does have a legitimate function. God established that authority under his authority. God delegated the authority for government. And government's role is simply this, to wield the sword. That's what God instituted government for. Who is it that punishes evildoers? The government does that. Who carries out executions, wields the sword? Government does that, not just the rogues. If the sword is wielded in battle, that's a government function of the people to lead that charge, to carry out that function. That's a government function. God delegated the authority to do those things. But it must not exceed what belongs to the government. They must not exceed what God has granted to them. When they step outside of their role as granted them by God, it is immoral. You know, the state wouldn't need quite so much in taxes if the state didn't try to be God. You know why the government needs so much in tax money? Because it's taken all the functions that God didn't give it. It's taken all the functions that belong somewhere else. And therefore, guess what? It needs a whole lot. If it's not doing its single role of executing the sword, it needs a lot of taxes. And so today, the state says, it's our job to educate your children. So therefore, they need money to do it. The state has said, it's their job 
to fight other people's wars, not our own. They need your money to do it. The state incentivizes green energy initiatives and other things, right? To take care of the planet. They're trying to be God again. They need your money to do it. The state enforces tyrannical taxation. So guess what? They need more money to enforce. They're getting more money. It's like keeping and bearing arms. So we have to stand up another agency to manage that. We need tax money to pay for it. So you're getting awful political here. Well, it was a very political issue then, and it still is today. But notice the religious heart. I'm going to tell you, about all those acronyms, all those alphabet agencies, especially the three-letter ones, they could just pretty much all go away. Can you imagine how much less tax money our government would need and how much more focused they could be on the one thing that God gave them to do? The place where they actually do have authority. So now we're in a system, and listen, God's word addresses this too. Understand, this is not just a political statement. Let me tell you what God says. Well, we're voting other people's money away. You don't have any skin in the game yet, you get to have a say. You get to determine how much gets taken from somebody else for what you want. You know what God's word says about that? It's unjust. It's sinful. It's not your property. It's theft. See, God's word actually speaks to these things. But that's the system that we've created. And we must pay taxes even to a corrupt government while we work to change it. But we must never participate in that corruption. As Christians, we can never get sucked into that whole thing. Let me vote what I can for myself. Let me take from somebody else what I can get for me. We should never participate. Pay back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And the things that are Caesar's are very limited, by the way. Very limited. But if it's owed him, give it to him. In this case, what are they dealing with? A coin that Caesar created that has his own inscription on it. It's just a material thing. Give it back to him. Pay the taxes. But notice this. Not only render to Caesar things that are Caesar, but he says, and to God the things that are God's. Don't leave that part out. I told you before, the world loves to become the expert on the Bible. And this is one of those passages they like to beat Christians over the head with. Render to Caesar. In other words, they say Caesar is God and you need to treat him like it. That's not what the word says. That's not what Christ said at all. And to God, the things that are God's. One other passage of scripture, we'll come back here. Look over to Matthew chapter 23. This is the only other one I'm going to ask you to turn to. But Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Jesus addressed these folks about this issue on another occasion talking about their hypocrisy you remember by the way I told you that the Sanhedrin was made up of three groups you remember them the Sadducees the Pharisees scribes okay well now look at Matthew chapter 23 verse 23 woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites For you do what? What are they doing? 
if you're looking there. What are they giving? Do you know who the tithe went to? We'll finish this verse. Guess who was the priestly class? I told you there were three groups in the Sanhedrin, Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes. Here in this verse, it mentions Pharisees and scribes. What one group does it not mention? doesn't mention the Sadducees. But guess who the priestly class was that collected the tithes? The tithes went to the temple service and went to the priest. Guess who was the priestly class? It was the Sadducees. It was the Sadducees. The Pharisees, who didn't like the Sadducees, had to give their tithe to the people they didn't like. (laughs) They had to give it to the Sadducees. But he says, you tied mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without and you're tithing and you should be. But he doesn't say stop there. Keep tithing. But there's more. And that's exactly what he's saying again here in Mark chapter 12 and verse 17. Go ahead, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but don't stop there. There's more. Give to God what's God's. The Pharisees were good at enforcing what they wanted to enforce and and doing certain things. And Jesus is all the time talking about this. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. (laughs) Listen to what they tell you and do it, but don't do like they do. Render to God the things that are God's. You see, Jesus had just turned the tables on them, hadn't he? Jesus just created the Pharisees and the Sadducees had this rift between them. The Pharisees already had an issue with giving this money to the Roman government, but they also had an issue with the tithe because the Sadducees were benefiting from this. Their enemy was receiving the tithe. So Jesus flips it on them. But now remember... Whose seal was on the coin, the denarius? Caesar's, right? Therefore, give it to Caesar. It's his. But what seal is on us? God's. We belong to him. He's put his seal of his Holy Spirit upon us as believers. He paid for us with his own blood. He purchased us for himself. We belong to him. We don't belong to the state. We belong to God. Pay your taxes. Give your money to that corrupt government while you try to change it. But don't sell your soul and yourself to them. You belong to God. Him alone shall you you serve. So we understand, and I know I'm out of time, so I won't talk about a whole lot with the whole church state authority thing. We've, we've dealt with that enough in the past. Just understand this. Christ gave his life to purchase you. What are you giving to him? He owns it all. So to conclude, what do we say to the question of paying taxes? Well, use the government notes to pay the government bill. Know who owns it all. Know who ultimately owns it all. Give him what belongs to him. Defy anyone and anything that sets itself up in place of King Jesus. Have you bowed before him? Won't you do so today? Let's bow our heads and our hearts together.
You have been listening to a message by the political pastor from his home pulpit. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. From 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Be sure to follow The Political Pastor by visiting thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on the subscribe link at the top of the page and learn how to subscribe to us and our various social media feeds. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ and His salvation, please visit thepoliticalpastor.com. Click on contact at the top of the page and write to us. We welcome the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ.